Down to Business with Bobby Kerr. Brought to you by Bank of Ireland on News Talk. So let's get on with the business of today. We look at the uh, the business stories making an impact on the front page and the business pages uh, during the weekend and breaking overnight. I'm delighted to be joined this morning by writer and journalist Valerie Cox. Also joining me is the deputy ed- business editor with the Irish Independent, John Eyre. You're both very welcome on this Bobby. sunny, fantastic, wonderful day that is a bank holiday Saturday. So we'll start with you, John, if we may. Um, the front page of the Irish Examiner. Uh, Coveney, Ireland must be a global AI hub. Now, we're hearing an awful lot about AI, John. It's a, it's on every... It's on everybody's lips. It's been talked about in good, for good and for bad. Um, is this political opportunism getting in on the AI Act? It is, I think. And, and the clue to that really is how unspecific uh, Simon Coveney is being about this. I don't quite know what it means to be at the center of AI or, you know, <laughs> exactly what it means to, how, how it's going to happen here exactly. So he sort of mentions a number of companies that are all, already here, like Meta and Google and Apple and so forth, who we all know are developing artificial intelligence applications. But we also know that those companies here do mostly customer service. They do some profit shifting. They store their IP here. But they're not exactly, you know, their Irish operations aren't at the cutting edge of the technology. But surely we're better to have AI companies or companies working in this field amongst us than be looking for them like a lot of other countries. Sure, but it's isn't it a little bit of a truism to just say, well, you know, we're better off having jobs than not having jobs. Yeah, yeah. yeah for sure. But yeah. like what is he what is our AI strategy exactly? What are we what are we doing to develop, you know, at the educational level the computer scientists that can be at the forefront of the this technological development? Like maybe that's happening, but it's not it's not mentioned in his remarks at all. He just sort of yeah. kind of generically says, you know, we should be a part of this. Well like, okay, let's let's do it then. <laughs> Valerie, what's your take on this story about AI? We've got two of them. The one reference that John mentioned about Simon Coveney. We also have a piece in the Irish Times which says that AI is likely to terminate low-paid jobs. Now, that's maybe fine and well as long as there are other jobs are created. Yeah, but it's maybe already happening because... um I mean, we're, we're looking at the dangers um, of the jobs being lost already in social media. I mean, that's already happening and happening, you know, this week very, very severely, actually. And there's also been so many warnings about this. I mean, there's a piece here um, in the Irish Times where it says it's interesting that a lot of the people pushing the narrative that AI could end in Terminator flavour disaster for the planet are also heavily invested in the technology's success. I mean, whether it's Elon Musk or whoever. And this is one thing that Simon Coveney does say today um, that, you know, strong regulation is going to be required. And he is he's looking at his remarks include the redundancies we've had already across the social media firms. And, you know, he says they're here already. You know, we're going to hold on to them. Well, maybe we're not if they lose so many jobs. I mean, there's so many gone already and they're going to have to just say this. They're going to be held here, you know, with serious tax cutbacks, that type of thing, in order to encourage them to stay on. I I think there's an element of the unknown here, Valerie. Like if you take it, I was looking at a stat earlier in the week that said that, you know, in 1940, 60% 60% of the jobs that we do now didn't exist. So mm. we just don't know maybe what those jobs are, but that humans and society will always find a way, 
you know, to create commerce, to, I don't know. What, yeah. is, that, I think is probably... that too deep? Well, I think human desires are limitless, right? Yeah. So we satisfy one more efficiently, and then we find other ones that we can now yeah. satisfy. Yeah, but I think, I think the happens. huge numbers of people working in one place, that's probably diminishing and probably not going to come back. I mean, years and years ago, when I was a kid, a huge numbers were employed in factories, yeah. making cars, soup or whatever. Then we went to the IT centres mm. and now they're losing numbers. So maybe we're going to come back with, you know, smaller yeah, numbers Yeah, I think you might be right. Um, John, let's focus on the economy for a second uh, again. Uh, uh, we're being told today that the Irish economy falls into technical recession mm. as GDP contracts again. I, this measure of GDP has me baffled um, in the sense that, you know, it really doesn't look like a recession out there. No. Uh, certainly, uh, if you look at it with a certain, with, with a certain prism, um, so, yes, yeah, so there's a divergence in these numbers that were published by the Central Statistics Office yesterday. Now, they have to publish, and GDP, gross domestic product, is the standard global measure of economic growth. But for Ireland, it doesn't really have a very useful application because it's heavily distorted by the activities of multinationals who are actually not conducting so much of the activity here. They're just processing a lot of the activity here. A better measure here is modified domestic demand and consumer MDD, as they call it. And consumer spending, both of which are up. So those numbers, those were very healthy in the first quarter. So the kind of the feeling you get at the street level in the Irish economy is that there is a recovery going on from the pandemic, which isn't to say there aren't disruptions elsewhere. I think the reason that the um, the GDP has fallen has something to do with uh, a decline in pharmaceutical manufacturing. That's a very volatile sector. We know about the layoffs in the, in the tech sector, mainly multinational tech companies as well. But in terms of domestic firms, in terms of domestic in employment, economic activity, you can see it in the tax receipts. That is going up. Income taxes are going up and corporation taxes going yeah. up. That's all signs of growth. Valerie, what, were you perplexed by this? Um, I was, yes. Yeah. <laughs> I'm afraid most of the discussion on that was above me. But, um, yeah, I mean, I, I think GDP, it's... It's almost like, you know, you can cite scripture for your own purpose because you can twist those figures any way you yeah. like, really. And if you leave out, for example, uh, the multinationals out of your GB GDP figures, they change completely. Well, I mean, that's me obvious in this article. Yeah. And for me, it becomes almost meaningless, mm. you know, that, you know, and then, you know, this rule of if you have two... Uh, shrinkage in GDP successively, mm. that, that, like that surely that definition needs to be revisited. Well, I think that uh, I mean, that definition is mainly for, for the sake of economists, right? Yeah. It, it just gives them a sort of standardized way of talking about this. But what does it really mean for ordinary people? I'm not so sure. Yeah. Well, it's economists talking to one another, yeah. really. I mean, for the ordinary person in the street, we need this to be explained. Mm. And actually, it isn't explained very well. No, it doesn't. It doesn't help us understand what's happening. Well, let's get more complicated <laughs> because then we're going to talk about inflation, Valerie. <laughs> yes. Uh, so uh, Cliff Taylor, who I always like because he, he does talk later layman's language you'll see it by the way he writes his article but he's telling us that inflation is going to fizzle out faster than we expected and i also like the way that he nails his color to the mast he's making a prediction here mm. he might be right he might be wrong but he's not afraid to call it no he's not and he's using real language here um he says that uh, energy bills are going to fall um doesn't know when yet but once they start to fall they're going to fall fast 
And, you know, the one thing that struck me during the week was we had a few cent added on to the price of fuel and we had panic. We had people queuing up. Now, some of them apparently were queuing for half an hour, running their engines for half an hour to save a few cent, which, you know, completely obliterated any savings they had. This is the ridiculous attitude that we have towards things like this. But Cliff explains it very well, too. And he also points out that once um, once deflation happens and uh, things begin to be a bit cheaper, that competition is going to take over. So you're going to have people who rely on deliveries, all the transport costs and so on, take supermarkets. You know, they're actually going to be back in competition. Yeah. And that's going to be good for all consumers. What I liked about his article, John, was he started with power and energy. And we're seeing there, and I know they buy forward mm. and there's hedging and all that sort of stuff. But, you know, you can see maybe that that, 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 that will find its way back to the consumer. Then he talks about shipping and transport mm. coming down. And he says, by logic then, the next thing that has to hit is food because they're implicated by both energy and logistics. And those are the real concrete prices, I think, that people are struggling with on a day-to-day basis. The one thing I wish that Cliff had addressed, and I'd love to see more on this, uh, there has been some reporting in recent weeks, is the contribution of corporate profits to inflation. By some measures, it's anywhere from a third to 40% of what we're seeing in inflation is companies taking the opportunity to expand their margins. And you can see this in some companies where you'll see their margins are growing faster than inflation. So they're not just passing on the cost, but they're passing on a little bit extra too. So how sticky prices are going to be will be very interesting to watch in the next year. Will the competition come in and force companies to cut their prices on goods and services? Or will they try to maintain those margins even as inflation falls? Yeah, I I think you're right. Uh, um, Valerie, let's move on to uh, uh, the hotel business, Delata. uh, Business here with Strong Roots uh, in Ireland. Pat McCann was the original man there. Um, Yeah, They've it's now been headed up by Dermot Crowley, but uh, interesting enough, they've they've uh, got a new property in London, which they've paid sixty two million for. <laughs> but it's part of a strategy because they've a number of hotels there already. Yeah, they have, and mm. um, the interesting thing here is that they've got a long leasehold interest. It's the Apex London Wall Hotel, and it's a long lease. It's one hundred and seven years left. So you think it's probably a very, very good area to get into um, because, you know, they're all going to be long dead when the thing expires anyway. So they won't have to answer to it. But it's going to be rebranded, of course, as a Clayton Hotel in London. And it'll be the hotel operator's fifth location in the city. Now, it's a big hotel. It has 89 bedrooms, a gym, restaurant, all the usual. And the big thing, of course, is that it's very central. It's very close to Liverpool Street Station. So also the hotel is in very good order. It doesn't require a lot of investment yeah. or anything. So I think th- this is quite an exciting acquisition, really, and bolsters the group uh, as being very, very strong indeed. Um, the, one of the things they did say was, you know, they've come out strong from the pandemic. They're in a position to do this. And that makes it a, v- a very a good acquisition. This was a business that was hit very hard during the pandemic. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So it is good to see them, yeah. They had uh, rep- uh, 96.7 million in profit That's last right. year so. At least it's good to see they're reinvesting it. John, um, wind energy as well. Mm. Lots of talk about this sector. Lots of things happening. Um, the ESB announcing that they're partnering with this Danish wind uh, energy company, Orsted. Is there anything uh, like these are people who've been in the wind business a long time? 
and that I think they might have developed the first wind turbine back in the mm. in the nineties. So we seem to be slow getting to the party, given that we've all this wind. So if the expertise here can help us and the ESB. I suppose to fast forward things, mm. this should be good news. Well, what's interesting here is is that like the ESB really needed a success because they had lost their original partner, Equinor, the Norwegian group, back in 2021, and and that was a two billion euro joint venture which just fell apart. Equinor said that this is due to planning delays. So to see ESB come through with uh, this deal to develop wind up to five gigawatts off the south and the southeast coast mainly is a really is a really big deal for them, especially since uh, Shell pulled out of some of their own um, joint ventures in uh, Cork and Clare last year as well. Um, now, ESB registered uh, seven companies back in, back in February when they were still talking to Orsted. So that was a good sign that things were going in the right direction. And now I think we'll begin to see these projects move forward to planning permission level and actually begin to get some wind on stream. Now, Orsted, as you said, is a long, uh, has long been in this area. I think they're the biggest um, offshore wind operator in they, the world. They know? operate the... Uh uh, Horn C2, which is the biggest operational site in the UK. Yeah, and they have a presence in Ireland already. They've done, I think, about 325 megawatts of onshore wind. They have an office in Cork with, with 90 staff and so forth. They're big listed company, deep pockets, a lot of money for investment. And if ESB can make this work, I think it's really transformative for Ireland's energy market. Yeah. Yeah, I think Valerie? the only thing that's going to hold them up and it's something that's not mentioned here are the environmental concerns because people are beginning to get very concerned about these huge turbines. They think, yes, they're a great idea, but they're not, we yet don't know enough about the damage to the seabed. We don't know what's going to happen there. And, you know, if you look at other um, uh, planning applications for work on the seabed, not these, but, you know, barriers and so on, they've had a look at what's going on. The Codling Bank was a big example of few years ago and whether we're damaging the fish population and everything else and upsetting the waves and so on. So I think that's going to be the thing that they're really going to have to deal with. I mean, the rest makes an awful lot of sense. And you've got the big operators it, in on us. So it's they know the what old story. Doing. Getting there is going to be difficult mm. when they when we finally do get there. I think there'll be a wonderful form of energy. And again, when you think about us, you know, burning br- briquettes and peace and all that good stuff. <laughs> it's very clean energy if we could get it there. Um, let's move on, uh, John. Mm-hmm. Uh, your own story, maybe it's always good to talk to the author yeah, yeah. of said story. The state is moving faster than planned on the PTSB share sale. Now, I think your article points out that it happened sooner than people were expected. The size of the deal is bigger than people might have imagined. But are the state being dragged along here? Are they a kind of an innocent, well, not, are they a bystander in this process? A little bit. And and this was maybe always a, a little bit of a, a risk. I'm, I'm not sure it's it's turned out bad for the state, for sure, right? So they, they get to liquidate some of, the, some of the stock that they own in permanent TSB. Um, and get to pocket that money. But if you if you roll it back a little bit to Ulster Bank leaving the Irish market, one of the ways they had to get out of here is they had to dispose of all their assets. Permanent TSB picked up between six and seven billion of those assets, mainly residential mortgages. To finance that, NatWest Group, which owned Ulster Bank, got a 16.7% stake in permanent TSB alongside the government, which had long been the majority shareholder since the bailout. Now, NatWest does not want to be a long-term owner of, yeah. an, of an Irish bank. They're try- they tried to get out of this market, right? So they're just sort of stuck here. 
But what has happened to those shares, partly as a result of the la- loss of competition, is the shares have skyrocketed. Yeah, so right? why not cash out? So why not cash out? And I'm yeah. sure, I'm sure NatWest has a number that they have to hit. And as soon as the share price reaches that reaches that number, they sell. Now the government has an agreement with NatWest that when NatWest disposes, the government also has to dispose, and that means. You know, we're on NatWest's clock, not on our own clock. Okay. And sort of gets in the way a little bit of the plan to get AIB down to a minority stake, okay. which is always the plan in the first place. But permanent TSB seems to be coming up around the corner now. Drag along, tag along. There you go. <laughs> now, Valerie, it's been the second warmest May on record. Yeah. Um, it, it's a beautiful weekend. It, it's much hotter on the western side of the country than it is uh, here in Dublin. Uh, well, I'll be heading over there tomorrow, so I'm looking forward to that. But um, isn't it great this time of year when the sun is shining, everybody's in good form. Um, but well, it uh, is. But, but uh, we always have to be careful around water safety. Yeah, we have to be very careful around water safety and there's various warnings being sent out. You know, please don't swim in an isolated spot on your own. Look out for other people and dial 112 immediately if there is a problem and you need to get you yeah. need to get help. I think we all need to look out for one another. Um, the second warmest May, uh, 24.9 degrees in Shannon, which is very hot, and 7.3 hours of sunshine. My so God. it's looking good going into the summer, Bobby. Great. John, uh, the editorial in your own uh, paper of note, the Irish Independent, mm. tells us that time to drain the crack out of every available sunbeam <laughs> in that we lead to live every moment of sunshine as if it was our last. Were there any of the quotes in that piece that you liked? Well, I think one of the lovely things about um, about living in Ireland I, as an American who grew up in a much sunnier climate is uh, exactly how much people here embrace the good weather when it arrives. And I've often thought there's kind of an unofficial bank holiday every time the sun really breaks through the clouds and people do make the most of it, you know, getting out there, getting their ice creams and, uh, you know, spending as much time outdoors as possible. Um, Valerie, we remember Shakespeare's questions, his beloved, <laughs> shall I compare thee to a summer's day? Yeah. Uh, but what is a summer's day, one asks? Well, what is a summer's day at this stage? We don't really know. I suppose it <laughs> depends on hours of sunshine. But also we've got to remember that, and even in May this happened, this good weather um, generates thunderstorms and very heavy rains, all of that kind of thing. So, you know. Well, it's also good news for the bees and I'll be talking to some beekeepers later So to embrace the sunshine. So stand by for that. I want to thank my guests for a wonderful review of the papers. Valerie Cox, writer and journalist and and John Isle, deputy business editor with the Irish Independent. Enjoy the sunshine and enjoy the weekend. Thank you, Bobby. Down to Business with Bobby Kerr. Brought to you by Bank of Ireland. Saturday morning at 11 on News Talk.